0: Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on.
1: (laughs) Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And while we mostly tend to focus on goings-on in America, the website is called U.S. Bets, after all, there was some significant industry news out of Canada this week, with Ontario announcing legislation that would create an online gaming and sports betting market. This is theoretically significant to bordering states, new york michigan and minnesota Yeah, you know, if americans are ever allowed back into canada <laughs> uh but more to the point john do you have a good curling insider we can have on the pod to help our listeners find edges
0: well, uh, Eric, I have driven a number of times from Buffalo to Toronto, and that's about 100 miles. And uh, I once went from Detroit to Windsor, Ontario, on uh, Derek Coleman's recommendation of a certain establishment there. Um, <laughs> and aside, I've also had many direct flights to Toronto, so I kind of know the of the land on Ontario. i um, not, not sure about an insider, but as far as curling goes, it's one of those sports that makes sense in its bearish form, like horseshoes or shuffleboard, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's being on ice. is kind of cool. And I actually have family members who do it, or, or once did, and they're from your Philly area, Eric. So you might be the one to be in line to give a first-hand <laughs> report and be uh, an insider and give him a little fist bump. Uh, you know, I know the sport's about 500 years old and began in Scotland, which somehow seems appropriate to me. Right. Uh, but if we do find a curling insider, I'll tell you this: I'll telegraph my first question right now. What's up with the sweepers, anyway? Sometimes a baseball bunt rolls along foul line. It's dramatic to see if it will go foul or not. You know? right. You're just watching it. and Or you take hypothetically, I don't know, a last-second shot in an NBA Game 7, the ball just keeps bouncing up and down on the rim. You know? Would it be better if the players could goaltend it away rather than just watching to see if it goes in? I'm not sure how you're going to go with that question, though.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm glad to hear that you at least have some some people in Philly who can uh, potentially uh, help us become sure. curling insiders or, or get or get some tips there. I, yeah, the sweepers. It is a strange sport. I guess that's all I can uh, really say. Although I was I, I looked it up. Uh, you know, I was curious um, where it ranked on the list of most popular sports in Canada, and not mm-hmm. sure how much to trust this one list I found. But uh, I was surprised to learn that curling only ranks as the ninth most popular. sport sport in Canada mm. while cricket is way ahead of it at number five I, I had no mm. idea cricket was big in Canada but mm. uh yeah uh, I, you know I'm 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 prepared to uh take advantage of some major inefficiencies in the curling lines uh when 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 we start developing expertise there and uh definitely John look for me to bet some multi-leg curling parlays with our bankroll oh, in the months no. ahead
0: uh, so where's ice fishing? In there? Was that the head of it? Or, you know? <laughs>
1: uh, that did not crack the top 10 okay. sports in That's Canada. A... I guess there's uh-huh. a, certainly a debate whether uh, any form of fishing counts as a sport. I think cur- <laughs> curling... For all its uh, weirdness is is widely recognized as a sport. at least.
0: It is. It is a sport. I'll give it that. OK,
1: uh, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number one hundred and seventeen of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous one hundred and sixteen episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please subscribe, rate and write us a nice review or else I will send my state's lieutenant governor to come beat you up.
0: Uh, Coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by Derek Farnsworth, better known in the DFS world as Notorious, to talk Masters betting with us. We'll get Derek's thoughts on sweating golf wagers, in-tournament betting, and which golfers might benefit from the lack of fans at Augusta. But first, it's been a notably busy week, I would say, in the world of gambling. So let's get to it.
2: Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
1: We'll start this week with a major story broken by our colleague Matt Riboltowski on SportsHandle.com, one that might turn out to have negative ramifications for the legal sports betting industry in New Jersey, and particularly for one major operator, DraftKings. A deep-pocketed better from Florida, who was not named in the article, but who famously bet a three-leg futures parlay for $3 million that we discussed several weeks ago on GambleOn, is accusing DraftKings of freezing his account. And he believes it has to do with him engaging in a practice known as messenger betting or proxy betting. In Nevada, it is legal for a bettor to place a bet from out of state through a proxy. In New Jersey, the laws forbid it. But this bettor is claiming that DraftKings director of sportsbook operations Johnny Avello, whom we've had on our podcast in the past, gave him verbal authorization to bet through a messenger on the DraftKings app in New Jersey. Avello and DraftKings deny the claim, and the New Jersey DGE is apparently looking into it but not commenting in the meantime. Pro sports better Rufus Peabody tweeted upon reading Matt's story, quote, if these allegations are true, DK's gaming license could be in jeopardy, end quote. So those are the basics of the story. There are a lot of layers to it to explore. So what do you find most interesting about it, John? And are you on the same page as Rufus in terms of the potential seriousness of it?
0: Uh, well, I think it is serious, and it reminds me a little bit of the five dimes recent efforts to gain approval from New Jersey gaming regulators. You know, that New Jersey reputation, it's decades old now, is being a hardliner and punishing miscreants, and, and that may be in play here. Um, but I'm not sure if there will be clear proof of a violation in New Jersey, though. Uh, and, of course, what I really can't grasp is the idea of anyone who consistently wins at parlays. I, I just can't, to the point where casinos would have to limit his action, or at least decide to limit his action. Uh, what we both learned since doing the show there's such a thing as advantage online slot play, <laughs> to the point where a few experts can make a living at it. Right. And I recall the 1980s when a Mr. Soft, the ice cream truck driver cracked the code of the seemingly random bouncing cursor on the game show Press Your Luck to win right. more than a quarter of a million Bucks in twenty twenty dollars. He went forty five straight spins without getting whammied even though a whammy was supposed to be as common as rolling seven in craps. Wow! So if anyone has found a consistent advantage in parlay betting, I'm all ears. Hell, minstrels will write songs about him. Maybe I will too. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean when we talked about that bet in the first place, uh, we noted that the the odds were very much not in his favor, and he wasn't getting a, a good price, uh, and that's why DraftKings seemed to gladly accept the bet. Now, like the better isn't entirely clear and transparent about what he's alleging but it seems without him totally spelling it out that he is saying DraftKings happily took his bets when he was losing and then froze his account after he started winning uh I'm not sure if there's any evidence there uh but that's one thing he seems to be saying and for what it's worth Coming back to your point uh, about parlay bets, uh, I believe that this particular three-team parlay looks very unlikely right now yes. to win. One of the college teams he bet Georgia is now kind of a long shot. Is that right? Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. Yeah. And and there may even be a canceled game. So, you know, once you fall behind, you don't catch up in uh, COVID-2020 college football.
1: Right. So one thing I learned uh, from, uh, from the article, I learned uh, from Matt's research about what is and isn't allowed with proxy betting – Apparently, all that the better in Florida has to do is cut his New Jersey guy in on the action. Um, Then it becomes a case where you're a team working together and just one guy's in the state and one isn't. And that's permitted. So that's sort of an interesting lesson, I guess, for everyone uh, attempting to get away with uh, questionably legal or illegal uh, proxy betting. But look, this case certainly shines a spotlight on some of the shadiness that can go on, and it's definitely bad for the industry if it's determined that DraftKings knowingly took illegal bets. Um, and I certainly stand by the popular take that it's kind of hard to believe they wouldn't know. You know, if a guy is betting $3 million, you're doing your research on who he is, where he lives, etc. You know, if I, if I decide to ask my friend in Jersey to bet 20 bucks for me or even 200 bucks for me, then I'll easily believe that the operator would never know and never care. But when you're betting this big, nah, I'm not buying it.
0: Well, I, I, I'm not buying the idea that someone will say, "Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll bet the three million bucks for you." Oh no, I don't need any piece of the action. Absolutely <laughs> not. You know what are buddies for? After all, the hell with that. These are gamblers, and right. if you look at that kind of number, you're gonna you're gonna look uh you're gonna want to wet your beak on that one for sure.
1: Yeah, and and so that you know you're basically saying that we're not sure entirely who to believe and exactly what details to believe. And that's certainly, you know, whenever you're dealing with uh, an unnamed source who is the sort of person betting $3 million at a time and placing bets from out of state, I think you have to have a, a measure of skepticism about whether he's telling you everything and whether he's possibly fudging some details. Now this guy did share screenshots with Matt. So I don't doubt that he is in, Indeed, the guy who bet the three million dollars and that the the spine of the story is true. But I've learned to be a little bit distrusting of big gamblers. So I guess we should acknowledge that there could be a little more to the story than than what we're being told.
0: Well, I think that whole murkiness just works in the, in the gambler's favor or even in DraftKings' favor in this case, right. where it's going to be – I don't know how you're going to definitively discover exactly what's true here, and that, right. that may benefit uh, everybody in the end.
1: Yeah, you're right. Um, and so just a final note, we should uh, mention that, that Matt is working on a follow-up, so uh, perhaps <laughs> we'll get some additional details. Uh, stay tuned to Sports Handle for that. That's good. Uh, sports betting handle records were smashed in September, uh, and I said at the time that I thought that would be the high water mark for a little while, uh, that the numbers would trail off slightly in October. Uh, but our second story here we're exploring this week is that some of those numbers are starting to come in. The major sports betting states haven't reported yet, but a few mid-level states have, and those numbers suggest October might just re-break all the records. Uh, In Indiana, October handle was a record $230.9 million, up from $207.4 million in September, generating a record $21.1 million in revenue on 9.14% hold. In Michigan, we don't get handle figures, but revenue at the three Detroit casino sportsbooks shot up from $4.4 million in September to $7.6 million in October. And in Iowa... Also a record month, $81.9 million in handle, up from $72.4 million the previous month. Revenue in Iowa was $9.1 million, which is a huge 11.11% hold. Uh, In these states, it seems pretty obvious that more big-time college football on the calendar made a big difference and was more than enough to make up for less baseball, basketball, and hockey. John, what do you think? Will this pattern hold in New Jersey, Nevada and Pennsylvania and make October the biggest month in U.S. sports betting history? And any other takeaways from any of these numbers that have been reported so far?
0: Uh, yeah, I think it will be the biggest. I, I do. Uh, and by the way, Pennsylvania casino revenues will be up this fall. Thanks to Penn State's lousy football team. Um, I don't think they're going to be able to just spread enough to stop the Nittany Lions fans from still betting on a bad team. <laughs> right. Uh, and as for U.S. handle, there was still plenty to bet on in every state in October. Thanks to some uh, Major League Baseball had a six game World Series. And of course, King football still going strong. Uh, state by state, the, what strikes me most is uh, an impressive handle for Indiana, don't you think? Yeah,
1: Indiana. That's that number is really getting up there. Not that far behind. You know, I, I guess I said sort of the big states and the mid level states. Indiana is close to jumping into into big states territory with numbers like that. New Jersey is kind of interesting in terms of we're getting those October numbers soon, and I could see that state being more in the realm of flat from September to October, or maybe even down a tiny bit, just since college football is not the lifeblood of New Jersey sports the way it is. In a state like Iowa or Indiana, Uh, Indiana particularly uh, spells this out because uh, betting on football, which they don't split it into college and pro, they just call it total football, went up from forty eight point four million dollars in September to eighty four point seven million dollars in October. That's a a, a huge increase. Um, So, you know, yeah, maybe New Jersey is going to be a little flat, uh, but Pennsylvania, as you pointed out, having Penn State back in action I think Pennsylvania will go up in October and uh, college football is always huge with the Nevada books. So uh, I'm with you that uh, when all is said and done nationally, October will probably surpass September and become the biggest legal sports betting handle month that we've seen yet. Uh, And the high hold percentages are certainly interesting. Um, We've often heard about how efficient the NFL lines are, Uh, you know, like I might spot a boxing line that's off base or someone who's a a WNBA expert might have edges there. But it's hard to make a living betting on football because the books really know what they're doing. So these numbers bear that out. The books don't make many big mistakes with football.
0: Uh, Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, 10 percent. That's minimum in Tennessee, but apparently it's not maximum (laughs) in other states. (laughs) There
1: you go. All right. Our third story this week isn't quite a major story yet, but it might be very soon. We covered the news in March when casinos around the country closed. We covered major reopenings, mostly in June and July. Now, with COVID-19 numbers spiking in almost every state in America, we're getting hints of the next phase for casinos reclosings. In Vegas, Park MGM announced restricted hours, uh, not because of COVID precautions, but just because business wasn't good enough to justify being open all week. So the property is now closed from noon Mondays to noon Thursdays. Meanwhile, Nevada Governor Steve Sisolak warned on Tuesday that renewed restrictions could be coming soon. In John's home state of New Jersey, those restrictions have started, although they're very minor for now. Indoor food and drink service is banned from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m., which seems to be an acknowledgement that indoor bars are a problem in terms of COVID spread. The casinos can still stay open 24-7, but you figure it cuts into their bottom line a little bit to not be able to serve food and drink late at night. John, Governor Murphy's ruling in New Jersey drew some mixed reactions. What's your reaction? Uh, and, And where do you put the odds that we'll actually see a majority of U.S. casinos forced to close again sometime this winter?
0: Well, you know, the, the banning of alcohol at bars and restaurants in New Jersey after 10 p.m., uh, which actually starts tonight, uh, prompted almost all of us over age 40 to say, wait, there were people out getting hammered at an indoor bar <laughs> after 10 o'clock? Really? I mean, I have a local alehouse that is sort of an indoor-outdoor place to where on Wednesday I, I just sat outside in shorts for the, no doubt the last time in 2020. Right. Um, and at that point, there was limited bar seating, but, you know, with a breeze in effect. But uh, midnight at a bar in this pandemic, wow, that amazes me. But uh, no more. Uh, but for Atlantic City casinos, a couple of things. One is they have pretty clearly proven they can open safely uh, with mm-hmm. extensive safety precautions at 25% capacity, which, by the way, to a large extent is decided by the number of former regulars who are staying away rather than, uh, you know, turning people away at the door. Um, I don't see a massive risk. Secondly, the South Jersey political and business community is bristling publicly now, about getting lumped in with Central and North Jersey's problems. You know, one size fits all is really starting to annoy them. Uh, it's even more true with the casinos, which is one of the most heavily Heavily regulated industries in the state and with multiple casinos on the boardwalk with an easy walking distance of each other for your friendly neighborhood regulator, right? And they tend to have owners with very deep pockets, so they have a lot of risk and they're, they're not looking to uh, cause any trouble. You know, outbreaks in New Jersey and elsewhere are far more likely to occur at the mom-and-pop tavern owned by the mayor's brother-in-law or frequented by other influential local officials. They're they're the ones who are going to cause the problems. So it's hard for me to picture Governor Murphy going any further with the casinos. You know They've survived the summer and much of the fall. They have a long way to go to springtime, and uh, if he does try and push his luck, uh, it's going to be a lot of blowback on it.
1: Yeah, these are fairly big states we're talking about where you're right, that the one size fits all doesn't really apply. This isn't Rhode Island, where, where, you know, probably what's going on in one county is going on in every county. Uh In in Pennsylvania, it's mostly been kind of county by county that uh, that everything has been enforced and we've gone in from red zone to yellow zone to green zone and and so forth. Um, One thing, you know, just as a parent, I'm very tuned into what's going on with schools and the vibe in the Philly area is that we're probably going to be back to 100 percent virtual in the next couple of weeks. Some school districts are voting on it right now. Then it gets extra tricky for a lot of these businesses like casinos. You know, schools are closed, but the governor is going to let casinos and indoor dining continue. Mm. Uh, The thing is, the numbers being reported by casinos in Pennsylvania are pretty mild. You know, the the number of employees testing positive, uh, it's not bad compared to the general population. So this goes to what you were saying, you know, the safety precautions, they're far from 100%. Of course, you're taking some risk, but they do seem to be working. Uh, And I'd sooner sit at a blackjack table with a mask on and a plexiglass screen in front of me than in an indoor restaurant where my mask has to come off so I can eat and the air is circulating around a small room. Uh, You know, Like I see people doing indoor dining when I go to pick up my takeout, and I just don't get it. Uh, But casinos... I I think shutting down the food service, that's something that should be the first thing to happen. It makes sense that it is. Hopefully the casinos themselves can, can stay open.
0: Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, 10 p.m., I realize a lot of gamblers are kind of all-night creatures, but um, uh, a lot of people can adjust to, you know, eating their main meal uh, by 10 p.m. You can get a snack and a bottle of water after that, but, uh, you know, I, that's not that big of an adjustment, and I suspect if you have a luxury suite, uh, you know, you can uh, you can order room service. So uh, right. it's really the the the, uh, the restaurant, you know, the sit-down, six people at a, at a table at 11 p.m., Thursday night experience, which clearly was pretty popular, that's going to go, but I think people can adjust to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and I think everyone just needs to be ready in general for a long winter. You know, like in in the spring, it I would guess that we'll start turning a corner on the virus. You know, the vaccine might be close, might be starting to get distributed by spring summer. People will be able to do things outdoors again when the weather gets nice. But it's going to be a long winter, um, and so I, I wouldn't be surprised if some point during the winter, either New Jersey or Pennsylvania, at least briefly mandates casino closures at some point. We have to prepare for that possibility. I'm sure the people running the casinos are are well aware that it could happen. Um, and then there's, you know, the question not making it political at all, just noting that once the new administration takes over, that more drastic national measures could be taken. There's been talk of a six week total national lockdown at some point to reverse the tide. I don't know. I have no answers or firm predictions here except the general prediction that it's going to get worse before it gets better. And casinos will take some sort of a hit and might look back fondly on the time when all they had to do was stop food and drink service at 10 p.m.
0: Uh, and there's not there's a non-zero chance that Governor Murphy winds up in Washington, D.C. with a new job, too. So that would uh, change the calculus as
2: well. There you go. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
1: I find it hard to achieve DFS mastery in any one single sport, but our guest now is one of those DFS standouts who is considered among the best in numerous sports. Roto-Grinders analyst Derek Farnsworth, better known in the sports gambling world as Notorious, is among the elite in NBA, MLB, NFL, and golf. And it's the latter of those that he'll be discussing with us this week as we record this interview on the eve of this unusual November version of the Masters. Derek, thanks for joining us on Gamble On.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's Masters Week, so uh, I'm excited, and thanks for the nice intro as well.
1: Sure. Um, So I'm very much a casual when it comes to my golf fandom, but on a handful of occasions when I've bet a big tournament or played DFS, I've found that if you're in the hunt, it's one of the most thrilling and stressful sweats around. What's your view on golf sweating as compared to other sports? Are the highs and lows elevated compared to most sports, or do you not necessarily find that to be the case?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, um, compared to other sports, it's a lot different because uh, how many times you expect to win a bet is a lot lower. For instance, Bryson DeChambeau uh, this week he's eight to one in most sports books. You look at the biggest underdog in the NFL this week, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, my terrible team. Uh, they are thirteen and a half point underdogs on the road uh, against the Packers. We did not expect them to win, yet you bet on the money line and they're plus six seventy five. So the books are telling us they have a better chance of winning that game than Bryson does of winning the Masters. So it's a lot different um, in terms of you know what your expectations are. But uh, the sweat, nothing like it. You get four days. Uh, you get to sweat every single shot. You know, the Masters has a new feature this year. You can star all six of your players and see all of their shots live. Um, I can't yeah. wait for it. Best technology out there. So um, no sweat like golf.
1: All right. And, and in terms of just betting, do you do you like to do other things besides just picking a winner and sweating him for the win? Do you do you like to try to get a little a top 20 here and the head to head there and that sort of stuff?
2: Yeah. So uh, unless you want uh, a wide range of outcomes every week, I do recommend getting some top 20s, getting some top 10s. And that's not the worst. thing if you have a guy that's, say, 60 to one. And he comes in third place. Um, so you definitely want to back up your outrights, especially the long shots, with uh, some top five bets and top ten bets, and uh, even some in tournament betting too if you if you're into that.
0: Uh, yeah, Derek, I wanted to uh, talk further about that. Actually, uh, you mentioned the four-day sweat, but I found this year when uh, when I'm uh, trying out this uh, golf uh, gambling that I'm kind of going more the within the tournament uh, situation. Uh, either after one round or entering the final round, I did Sunday at Houston. You know, D- Dustin Johnson was uh, plus five hundred, about three shots back, but. Having watched him play Saturday, he had burned the cup about five or six times. I mean, he was absolutely striping the ball, and I felt like he had a really good chance to win at five to one, and he came very close. So I didn't win, but it was a good shot. So first I'm wondering if there's anything inherently uh, advantageous to – uh, sort of betting mid-game or in this case mid-tournament of golf over the sports and then uh, secondly uh, is it a little more appealing to bet after one round gives you a feel for a guys uh, game or wait till Sunday and then figure out who can win and then you can take a shot at winning without eight to one or ten to one you might have even money or or even better or something like that
2: yeah I mean a lot of this comes down to personal preference I personally like to use in-tournament betting when there's a favorite that I like, but I don't like his pre-tournament number. So let's say I like Dustin Johnson and Bryson this week. They're going off of eight or nine to one uh, to win. But if you wait a day, if they find themselves three or four shots back after you know Thursday's round or even after Friday's round, you're going to get them at a lot better number. You mentioned uh, Dustin Johnson, three shots back at the Houston. Got him at five to one. That's a great number because he was a class of the field. You had uh, Hideki Matsuyama, Brooks Kepka. They all made a charge uh, on Sunday. Carlos Ortiz was lucky enough to hold them off, but you were in a great spot at five to one. So I definitely like in-tournament betting. One thing I would get away from is betting uh, the favorite after like 54 holes. A lot of people just assume a two-shot lead is uh, money in the bank, uh, especially when it's not only golfers, but that's just not the case. So many times you see the leaderboard switch on Sunday and guys make charges. So uh, I like betting uh, in-tournament bets in terms of guys that are going to make charges rather than guys that are going to hold the lead.
1: All right. I I have a a DFS specific question uh, for you here, Derek. Uh, You know, the the main four day slate of Masters DFS will have already started uh, before people get to hear this, unless it's significantly delayed by weather, I suppose. But but I'm curious more for your general DFS golf advice. What's the biggest thing you think new players should focus on? Is it about getting the winner in your lineup? finding a lineup of six players who all cash, making sure you nail a contrarian pick or two. What, what, what do you sort of point to as a, as a starting point of, of something to focus on there?
2: Yeah, very hard question to answer in only a couple minutes. Uh, we do hours on this every <laughs> right. single week. But uh, for new players, I would uh, advise knowing what type of contest you're entering. So if you were playing in a cash game contest, which is a double up, a 50-50, a head-to-head, your main goal is to beat half the competition so you can double up your money. In this instance, you don't really care about ownership. You want to get the best plays possible. You want to maximize your chances of getting 6-6 golfers through the cut. When it comes to a tournament, uh, you're worried about two things. You're worried about duplicating lineups and ownership. Um, You want to avoid duplicated lineups because every time you do have one of those in a tournament, you lose EV, especially in these large field tournaments. You don't want to win the Millie Maker and chop it with 20 people. Um, So the best way to do that. You can either leave money on the table. I believe about 70% of lineups either spend the entire salary cap or only leave $100 left on the table. So if you leave $200 or more on the table, you're already differentiating from 70% of the field. And then you can also look at ownership, uh, get some contrarian plays in there. Rather than just avoiding all the highly owned guys, because typically those are guys that you want to play anyway. There's a reason why they're highly owned in the first place. I like to set a cap for your uh, aggregate ownership for your lineup at like 75%. So what that means... Uh, you add up your ownership of the six golfers and you want to make sure that's under 75% in terms of projected ownership. That way you're getting a little bit different. You can leave a little bit of money on the table. Um, so that way it gives you a shot to get the top prize and a shot to not have to split it with a bunch of people.
1: Gotcha. And and to sort of combine the question I started with uh, about the sweat with the question I just asked you about DFS. Um, I found that golf is a, is a tricky sweat because it can change so rapidly as, as you're playing because of the, the the position on the leaderboard mattering so much that it's uh, you, you see the leaderboard change so quickly. Is golf DFS sort of a, a trickier sweat in that way, in that you can be in great shape one minute and look again two shots later and the whole thing's gone totally topsy-turvy on you?
2: Yeah, I have a hard and fast rule where I do not check my uh, DraftKings account in tournament. Um, okay. So <laughs> before each round and after each round. But if you're constantly sweating it, you're just going to give yourself too many headaches. Uh, (laughs) One bogey can not only cost you the bogey points, but, you know, five spots on the leaderboard. So uh, personally, I don't like to to sweat it, but um, I know who I have and I know, you know, kind of what I need. But then I like to wait until the end to see what happens. Gotcha.
0: Derek, I want to try a little bit of amateur psychology here looking ahead to the Masters. A lot of talk at the PGA how Colin Morikawa was a young winner and perhaps it helped that there were no spectators that uh, the pressure didn't seem quite as great uh, down the back nine. Um, And then uh, Bryson DeChambeau won easily at the US Open, but he's also a first time majors winner. You know, I've covered thousands and thousands of sporting events and when I tell people that Jack Nicholas winning in the 1986 Masters it might be the most exciting sporting event I've ever seen they think I'm crazy but you know the fact was that the crowds were enormous everybody's rooting for the 46 year old guy he birdies I think eight nine and ten and you could hear it all over the course and I think it was Vern Lundquist you know at one point maybe 10 or 11 he says you know uh, the golden bear is out of his cage or something like that and you just you got goosebumps and then he keeps you know making, making birds and uh, making the charge and the other guys just wilted so um that's that's all the pressure in the world so i'm wondering do you feel like there's a better chance for first player here or you know you're going to 15 16 here on sunday the fact is in the back of your mind uh butler cabin tiger woods fitting you with a green jacket so is it something like that something you would take into consideration on who wins are you just going by current form and you know previous experience and that sort of thing
2: yeah, I mean, the no fans is impossible to quantify, right? But I mean, it certainly makes sense for some of these younger guys, um, you know, having to compete without any fans. It's kind of like they're just playing in college event. Uh, we've seen Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy both say that they've struggled to kind of get going early in tournaments because they don't have that extra rush um, yeah. of a big crowd and of the big cheers. And you mentioned uh, the Sunday roars at Augusta National. There's nothing like it. Um, when someone hears that and it's not for them, they know that somebody's making a charge, something big happened. And it kind of puts pressure on everyone else uh, to kind of, you know, get more aggressive. So uh, I definitely think it will have an advantage for those guys uh, that don't have any Masters experience if they are in contention on Sunday. The problem is, I don't know if they're going to be able to get there. We've seen first-timers struggle at the Masters time and time again. I mean, Jordan Spieth almost got it done uh, in his debut. But for the most part, we see first-timers really struggle here, whether it's, uh, you know, nerves, whether it's the fact that you have to know a lot about the course, uh, the angles, the greens, there's just so many nuances to Augusta National. So uh, for the most part, I do think having no fans will have a slight impact, but I just don't know if there's going to be any first-timers there uh, in the mix anyway.
1: All right. Fantastic stuff. It's been a, a pleasure talking to you, Derek. Uh, a note for our listeners that uh, you guys can follow Derek on Twitter at rg underscore notorious Uh, and of course check out his work on rotogrinders.com derek thanks so much for coming on the podcast and uh, good luck with all of your uh, bets and dfs lineups this
0: weekend
2: really appreciate it guys looking forward to a fun four days
0: all right thanks derek
2: two men ten thousand dollars will they run it up or blow it all it's time to check in on the gamble on bankroll
1: We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first, let's update our shared bankroll. And boy, did we have an ugly week. (laughs) Three bets, three losses, $327 down the tubes. Uh, John's college football bets, uh, Clemson minus six and Wyoming minus three and a half. Both lost with both favorites, not just failing to cover, but actually losing outright and my three-team NFL teaser went the classic teaser parlay route with the Packers easily winning after I teased them down to even money, the Patriots eking it out after I teased them down to minus one. Uh, That would have been a fun sweat uh, if we'd still had anything on the line, but we didn't because I needed to tease three more points than I did on the Chiefs. They won, but they couldn't cover the four and a half for us. Um, Our futures bets had an encouraging week. The Steelers holding off the Cowboys was very helpful for our Steelers' Eagles division winner parlay, but it was nonetheless a lousy week for us. We go from up $98 to down $229, Oof. and we have $871 on hold in futures bets, leaving us with exactly $8,900 available to bet. And I'm up first, and I'll start with a boxing bet. My pick for the best pound for pound boxer now that Vasily Lomachenko has been defeated, Terrence Crawford is in action Saturday as a huge favorite. He's between minus 1300 and minus 1600 against Kell Brook. No sense betting Crawford straight at that price. And the price on Crawford by knockout isn't great either. Minus 210 is the best I'm seeing. But if we zoom in a little closer, FanDuel has a good price on Crawford by knockout between rounds 7 and 12, plus 155, which is much better than the plus 110 offered at DraftKings. I think Crawford is indeed likely to stop Brook. But I think it's unlikely to happen quickly. Crawford isn't as big a puncher as Gennady Golovkin, who stopped Brook in round five. He's more in line with Errol Spence, who stopped Brooke in round 11. So I like this price a lot. Let's bet $100 to win $155. All
0: right. And, uh, you know, Clemson lost outright. It's a little rough, uh, given they had the ball in good position, up seven and covering with under two minutes left. And they needed to allow a 91-yard touchdown drive just to allow Notre Dame into overtime. Right. But let's move on. <laughs> so uh, give me USC minus 14.5 over Arizona. At 110 to win 100. Uh, USC had a great rally late in their season uh, debut to beat Arizona State. And Arizona's first game was canceled. So I like the uh, the edge there. USC kind of got their feet wet. Uh, and I've been hooked more often than a dumb fish of late. But 110 to win 100 <laughs> at minus 14 and a half.
1: Yeah, I uh, do have that hook there. But uh, okay, uh, we'll hope for the blowout. Um, in the NFL so far this season, we have a pretty meaningful sample size through nine weeks and the overs are hitting at 55.4%. So if you tell me any general bet is 55.4% to win, I'll take it every time. So huh. I was looking around, uh, trying to find a good over this week. I'm looking at the lines, and Chargers versus Dolphins jumped out at me. That line is too low at 48 The Chargers the last five weeks have scored 31, 27, 39, 30, and 26 points, and that 26 was after dropping the winning touchdown pass. Uh, The Dolphins the last four weeks have scored 43, 24, 28, and 34, and they're looking in sync now after two games with Tua. So even if you took both teams' lowest scores from the past month, you get Chargers 26, Dolphins 24. Uh, It's supposed to be 85 and sunny in Miami. I can't fathom why this total isn't around like 52 or 53. Maybe I'm missing something and I'll look stupid next week, uh, but that's never stopped me before. (laughs) Uh, I have a choice here on how to bet it. I could do over 48 points at minus 113 at FanDuel or over 48 and a half points at minus 108 at DraftKings. I'll give myself that extra little possibility of a push if it ends up exactly 27-21 or something like that. So let's bet 113 to win 100 over 48 points.
0: All right. And we've got the Masters, of course. And then, Your Honor, I'll do a few micro bets. Okay. Uh, We'll start small with Francesco Molinari, the 2018 Open champion golfer, at plus 300 just to place top 20 out of 90 golfers or so, so 40 to win 120. Uh, Molinari escaped witness protection that began after he choked and handed Tiger a 2019 Masters win when he snuck in a 15th in Houston last week, and I don't think anybody noticed. Uh, then 60 on Bubba Watson top 20 at plus 110, so roughly even on there. I like Bubba a lot this week. Uh, lack of crowds will not hurt him at all. Um, finally, Patrick Cantlay a cr- Across the board for 20s to win plus 2800 top five plus 500 top 10 plus 225 we might have a fun sweat on sunday
1: wow all right a lot of a lot of micro bets indeed what's that Some like 160 you got in action there it's, if i'm uh, adding it uh, up right all right cool uh and we wrap things up with the fast five where I said at the end of last week's show that I felt positive about both of our chances. And indeed, we both did well. Uh, you slightly better than me to retake the lead by a half game. Uh, John went 4-1, and one, losing only on Arizona against Miami. And I went 3-2, and two, losing on Washington and missing by just a hair on Tampa Bay. I was only <laughs> 38.5 points off or something like that. Uh, so John is now 24-20-1. And I am 24 and 21, both solid marks through nine weeks, a combined winning percentage of 53.88. Not good enough to win any big contests, but good enough to narrowly beat the VIG. Uh, and you're up first this week, John.
0: Yeah, and Eric, I don't have that horrible pick to shake my confidence. Uh, I pretty much coasted <laughs> and then had a shot at 5-0 till the final seconds of that uh, that Dolphins game. Um, now 71-53-6 the last year and a half. That's not terrible. So let's try it here. Uh, Bengals plus seven over the possibly big Benless Steelers. Look, the Bengals are going to win this game outright if Ben doesn't play. And they at least cover if he does. Uh, Steelers, worst 8 no team ever. We can discuss. Uh, that's it for the early games, actually, oddly enough. Um, yeah, Dolphins minus two over Chargers. I, I don't understand the spread at all. Um, yeah, I got beaten that Dolphins-Ram game a couple weeks ago. Most absurd final score of the NFL season by far. That's the fish or mammals. Uh, they got walloped and yet won easily. Uh, but two in the second half on Sunday looked like a fast learner. Wow. Like a light bulb went off in his head. Yeah. Uh, they were still fortunate to beat Arizona, sure. but now they step down in class. They face a clueless lame duck Chargers coach. They don't even have to win by more. Than a field goal. Uh, next up in the later games is a uh, Rams minus one and a half over the Seahawks. You check the body of work for the Seahawks this year and their injury list. I mean, Russell Wilson is a national treasure, but now he's pressing. You can tell because he knows this roster just won't cut it. Uh, next in that late window. Saints minus nine over 49ers. I know it can be an amateur move to grab a hot hand like the Saints, but that doesn't mean it's never justified. I think they've got uh, everything back in gear and the 49ers have put up a a decent fight occasionally, you know, with that ridiculous injury list, but uh, I think it's starting to get to the best of them and they're, they're going downhill. And finally, uh, Vikings minus two and a half over Bears on Monday night. The Bears defense is tremendous, when you, especially when you keep in mind how bad their offense is. So uh, that's not making it easy for them. Uh, but that offense is in shambles. And the Vikings are once again playing for their season. So I think they cover that line.
1: All right, interesting week shaping up here as we have two of the same picks and one head-to-head here. Uh-huh. Um, so I mentioned earlier that the over is hitting at 55.4% this season. Uh, here's a bigger number. Road dogs are covering at a 59% clip. Uh, that, that's pretty good. You'd average a 3-2 and two record every week taking road yeah. dogs. Uh, so I actually have three road dogs in my Fast Five this week, starting with one that you're also on, the Bengals plus 7 at Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, the, this game is off the board at a lot of books because of the COVID-related uncertainty that you mentioned. I kind of suspect Roethlisberger will play, but if he doesn't, the drop to Mason Rudolph is steep, and seven is a great number on Cincy. But uh, as you said, even with Big Ben, That's a lot of points in a division game against a Cincinnati team that always keeps it close. It's coming off a bye. As I said last week in picking the Cowboys against the spread, the Steelers are not this high-powered offense that runs up the score. So right along with you, I'm taking the Bengals getting seven. Um, A much smaller road dog, I like the Bills plus one and a half at Arizona. The Bills are really clicking. John Brown being healthy makes a huge difference. I think they're the slightly better all-around team here and I'm getting a point and a half with what I perceive as the better team, I'm taking it. I'm not expecting to cover by much here. This should be a good close game, but uh you know, this isn't points betting. I only need to cover by half a point. I like the Bills side in this one. Now the the head to head, uh my last road dog, it's a big one. I know they're a mess of injuries, but the 49ers are desperate. Any hope of salvaging their season is on the line. They're getting that big number, 9 points at New Orleans mm. uh and This is the opposite kind of game for the Saints, a chance for a letdown coming off a game where every single thing went right against Tampa Bay. It looks to me a little like Dallas and Pittsburgh last week where the Saints could be flat and the Niners will be pumped and maybe the Niners build a small lead. And then talent prevails, and the Saints come through in the fourth quarter to avoid the upset. But I think San Francisco still covers. So that's our big game of the week where we're going Mm -hmm. head-to-head. And that's enough of road dogs for me. Give me a big road favorite next. The Ravens favored by seven in New England. Talent prevails here. The Pats avoided total embarrassment last week against the Jets. That was the game they couldn't afford to lose for moral reasons. Uh, But this one, uh, this one they can. Uh, Belichick's defense doesn't have enough bodies to keep Lamar in check. This feels like a blowout to me. And last one, taking a small home favorite to beat a road dog. This is the second pick we have in common. I like Miami, given two points against the Chargers. At three, I'd probably stay away. At three and a half, I might take the Chargers. But two points, that's close enough to a pick that we're mostly just being asked, will Miami win, which is the same as, will the Chargers lose? And no matter how well they've played in parts of games, the answer all season has been, yes, the Chargers will lose. Should be a close game, but the Chargers find a way to lose, and the Dolphins cover the two points. And that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to our guest, Derek Notorious Farnsworth. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow U.S. Bets at U.S. underscore Bets. Go to USbetts.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, please do your thing and take us out.
0: All right, so I kicked Augusta Nashville in the teeth a little bit last week over its checkered pass, and rightly so. But some good things happened this week. Uh, one is that Golf Channel ran a long piece on a storied history of black caddies at the Masters that dates back at least to the 1950s. If you see the 1972 uh, Masters Championship, Jack Nicklaus is on the Sports Illustrated cover, but the guy in front of him is, is his caddy, who made, it to, who made it with him, in a sense. Uh, there's no one erasing the fact that these men could caddy at the club, but they couldn't play there. I mean, I was a caddy myself 40 years ago, and at least the club let us play the damn Of course, once a year. Uh, But more important is this week's gambling element, actually. And that is while Masters officials announced that Lee Elder, who I mentioned last week, is the first Masters black golfer, 1975. He's going to join legends Jack Nicklaus and Gary Player in the iconic ceremonial tee shot tradition off the first tee. The gamble is that this is not going to take place until next April. And Elder, well, he's 86 years young. Uh, player is 85, but he has to be like one, 110 to win 100, uh, to see 100 years old. Uh, Nicholas at 80 is aging like fine wine. So uh, why not just do it this week? That's a fair question. Uh, but this quirky mid-November one-off, it doesn't feel like proper homage to Elder with no patrons there. And Nicholas and Player actually teed off in the rain this morning. It was kind of miserable. So. Mm. And also missing uh, right now, there's no Azaleas. Uh, Those are the flowers of spring, synonymous with Augusta National and the Masters. In fact, Sergio Garcia won here a few years ago and named his daughter Azalea. So with Elder holding a press conference this week in such a delightful mood, already some honor has been bestowed there, at least. So uh, chalk this up to another goal next spring, which we have many. Elder at the tee with the South African player, who by that point will have a full 50 years back of having thumbed his nose at the country's uh, racist apartheid system over in South Africa and invited Elder to compete in a tournament in his home country. Uh, Elder player, Nicholas, the gallery, and Azaleas. Uh, This weight is a risk I can understand as being something we can take. And with that, until next time, gamble on, everybody.